Welcome to the Pattern Podcast from KXE in London. As a church, we want to learn ways of being with Jesus, becoming like him and doing the things he did in order to see this city we love transformed. This podcast is a resource to help us explore these spirit-filled patterns of living and start putting them into practice every day. For this interview on the practice of joy, Pete Hughes caught up over Skype with Mark Sayers. Mark is the lead pastor of Red Church in Melbourne, Australia, and has had a very personal journey exploring this practice in his everyday life. So welcome to the Pattern Podcast. We're here in a fairly dingy room in King's Cross. It's 8 a.m. in the morning, but on the other end of Skype, uh, Mark Sayers is joining us from Melbourne, Australia. So um, good morning slash good afternoon, Mark. Yeah, good morning. I'm also in a dingy room on the other side of the world. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Well, it's such a joy to have you, Mark. For those that haven't connected with Mark. He leads an amazing church in Melbourne called Red Church. He's the author of a number of books, including Facing Leviathan, Disappearing Church, Strange Days. And as he's just told us before, this conversation is in the middle of writing a new book about revival and renewal, and we can't wait to get hold of that. So thank you so much for joining us. So these podcasts are really about the role of spiritual disciplines, practices and patterns in our daily life of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus and doing the stuff that Jesus did. Now, we're going to get on to the practice of joy. But before we do that, you've done a whole load of thinking about the role of disciplines and practices in this journey of becoming like Jesus um, with a bigger vision of shaping and transforming the city and the culture around us. Just give us some of your thinking then on why habits and practices are so important. Well, I think, I think we've almost been sold a fast one in the sense that we're these spontaneous individuals who make these decisions and we just do what the heck we want to do. Um, I studied advertising at college and we learned how to basically convince humans to do certain things. And since I studied with the rise of digital uh, technologies, that just become more apparent. Uh, there are people making literally billions of dollars off the reality that we as humans are far more predictable, far more rhythmic, far more cyclical, far more formed by really simple little nudges. And um, I think that that's just how humans are created. So I want to take those patterns and those forms and use them for good in my life, not evil. Um, and most of our lives, we think of ourselves as sort of rock and roll individuals doing that, what, you know, what we want to do, but really we're actually shaped by the wishes and desires of shareholders of large tech companies. So I want to flip that and say, how do I use what the people of God have used throughout history to actually shape my life in one that reflects the kingdom, one that flourishes and how God wants it to flourish. And I want to use those tricks uh, that are used against me to actually shape the life that God wants to have for me. So, so when it comes to church history, because you're pretty well read on, on the disciplines throughout the ages, how have disciplines been like central to the followers of Jesus in sort of aligning their hearts with the values of the kingdom of God? Well, you see this, this, this change with the resurrection of Jesus and then the coming of the Holy Spirit. Well, all of a sudden the church can't anchor itself in the form of temple worship that it existed before. And this new energy of the Spirit gets released into the world. So all of a sudden there's this freedom that comes with the gospel and comes with the Spirit. But also at the same time, there's still that human reality, like the end of the age hasn't come fully. So the people of God from the early church still did certain patterns, which enabled them to exist in a way which was in sync with what God was doing, but also this in-between, the kingdom's here, but not here fully yet. So we still need to be formed. So that from the earliest times, they they prayed together, they 
They read scriptures together. They didn't give up the habit of meeting together. They had times of solitude, times of Sabbath. They've always been there since the very early parts of the church. There's times where it always the temptation to go back and fall back onto religiosity. And what I say is that often uh, practices are good, but practices must have the presence. Practices without the presence become problematic. Um, but also presence without practices can go loopy sometimes. So they work in synergy together. So let me ask you a little bit more about that. Um, the interplay between spiritual disciplines and life in the spirit. So there's been moments within the charismatic church where we've been a bit nervous of religiosity of all spiritual disciplines. You know, be careful. Um, Just talks about how these disciplines, these patterns actually release us into greater freedom. Yeah, totally. There's almost this sense that um, the, the, the sort of image I, I've used recently is I think what charismatics and people who, who want to push into what the spirit is, we want spiritual power. Sometimes spiritual, sometimes there's a power. And I thought about this as I was opening a can of pickles, um, which is a strange thing to do. But um, I'd been buying these expensive sort of probiotics because I had a sort of slightly upstick stomach. And then I was reading that instead of buying the sort of $30 probiotics, I could just buy this cheap bottle of uh, pickles. And what's interesting about the pickles is that they sit in this still space and as they ferment, they actually gain in power. So I started to think about that more and I realized that for charismatics, there's this really interesting thing that there's those times where God sends us out, the spirit moves and we're released and stuff happens and we desire those times. There's other times where God actually has us fermenting. Not as much seems to be happening, but in those quieter times, we actually go deeper in Christ. In a sense, we ferment and the good bacteria grows within us to then be released into a system. So I see practices working like that. They're a discipline which teaches patience. Um, and I think patience and and relying on God speaking to us through these pattern ways balances out beautifully those moments of release of the Spirit. So let me just push you one further on that. Then, so what if if the church took this seriously that we were like to use the pickle analogy, like marinating in, in God's presence, but also open to the outbreak of God's power? What what happens when you have these two together? What's the effect that that kind of church has on the city? I mean, I've been knee deep in reading about renewal and church shape and how the spirit moves and. I've seen that there's these certain moments when something incredible tends to happen. And I'm like, what, what is that? There are renewals and revivals that broke out, which were sort of just like these flash explosions and all this stuff changed. But then a little while after, there's not much left standing. And then these other renewals, which seem to push on for decades, and it's like a tide coming in with force. And I desperately desire, I, I don't want, God can do what he wants, but I, I want to see something that pushes on. That, that sees generations mm. released. And it seems that those moments is this combination of a pattern or a formation and practices, but then the spirit moving. And, and you just see those moments, the Moravians, early Methodism, early German pietism, where they had these bands pushing into stuff, and yet the spirit's breaking out at the same time. And, and just think about another metaphor for you is, if you go to the zoo, you will see a lion and a lion has this domestic reality going on. You'll see it's, it's got its cubs and it's got its, its, you know, the male lion has the females and stuff like this. And you see them sitting there in just the normal domestic reality. For me, that's like the patterns. We need that. We need the comfort and closeness of the lion's fur touching our face. But last time I went to the, the zoo, Melbourne Zoo, I'm watching that and then the line goes for a little wander and then he just roars. 
And when a lion roars near you, it is the base is insane. It shakes you. <laughs> you know? And for me, that's the spirit. And we need not just churches, which are just roaring 24-7 hype and shake. We need both. We need the roaring and we need the, the warmth and the closeness of, of the fur of the lion. And the lion has both. Put them together and KXC has this wonderful thing happening in the services where I see the spirit moving. I've, I've had the privilege to be there and people being prayed for. Combine that with the pattern and, wow, be excited. Amazing. So let's move on to joy then. Um, let's start by how would you define joy? How, how are we to understand joy? It's, it's hard for us to understand joy because we come at it with a whole set of preconceptions about what feelings are. Um, if there's anything that defines us at the moment, it's that we are a therapeutic culture, as, as Philip Reef called us. We look at the entire world through feelings. That just grows every day. Now, if you uh, see the, the, the definition of a good life today is feeling a bunch of good stuff all the time, and almost now we see it as an offense if we hurt someone's feelings. Um, so it's really hard to come at joy because joy is a feeling. It's human. It's an emotion. It's something we experience. We have the phenomenon of feeling joy. But the biblical sense of joy is actually it's a grace that comes to us. So often we think of happiness as getting your life in the right sink of surrounding it with the right cool experiences, the right cool people, the most meaningful job, et cetera, et cetera. And then granted, we'll have happiness. Joy can come and it's almost disconnected from what's happening. So it's not dependent on the horizontal. It comes from a vertical reality. It's a transcendent thing, a grace given to us by God. So joy is this thing that that comes from God that's not dependent on surroundings. And that's a radical thought because then to be joyful, we don't look left and right. We don't have to strive like humans. We have to connect ourselves to the source who then can give us joy. Wow. So, so let's talk about one of those circumstances then, like suffering. So Paul's letter to the Philippians is a great example. It's often described as the epistle of joy. So Paul's writing from prison. The church in Philippi are experiencing significant suffering. And yet Paul constantly talks about experiencing joy, you know, rejoicing in the Lord. What does it look like to experience joy then in the midst of suffering? This has been one of the, the real questions that I, I think I've really wrestled with as a Christian. I meet people, as I'm sure you would, who live in a city like London or Melbourne who have so many things, but they're overtaken by a sense of anxiety and depression. I've then met people from places like Africa, people who've been refugees, people who've experienced war, and they, in their Christian faith, have this sense of joy. And I have not been able to work that out. And for me, I can't you know, for years I wrestled about that. So in a sense, what I noticed for them is that because they could not look to earthly situations, they had to look vertically. And again, that, that's that countercultural thing that I think Paul's talking about there, that what that does is it takes us out of the temporal and what their joy is then found in the eternal. So it's so joy gives us a new set of metrics with which to measure the world. And just to add just quickly, a personal one for me is that, I, you know, when I was asked what I wanted to talk about today, for joy for me is something really important because as someone who struggled for most of my life with bipolarity where my brain sends me to melancholy, depression, and very negative thoughts if I don't look after myself, I realize there's a discipline of pushing myself to joy. So joy is an answer for me as I walk through life and there are difficult times, but I realize too that God has brought joy into my life despite my mood disorder. Wow. 
So before we get into some of the, the details of what practicing joy looks like, what you do in those moments where you, you step into to joy, a couple of other questions then. One is the, on the interplay between joy and mission. So how joy motivates the people of God in mission. So, you know, it says in the New Testament that, you know, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. So how does this this joy, this connection with God actually propel us outwards into the world? If if in the KXC offices today, a strange man walked off the street, dressed very nicely and literally said, I am giving you guys $10 million. No questions asked. Here it is in cash. Catch you later. Jesus told me to do this. Are you speaking yeah. prophetically now? <laughs> no, sorry, I'm, maybe, maybe. I'm spinning mess. <laughs> um, but maybe. No, there would be no effort. It would not be a chore for you guys to then go and tell people about that. You would be on your phones texting like, oh, my goodness. You'd be calling people like, this just happened. It would just outflow of you. So I think the joy that Paul's talking about is people have realized what the gospel really means. And when you realize what that really means, you're propelled to joy. It's, 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 it's nothing that you have to try to do. It's just this sense that joy overflows. Um, you know, I often see at a football stadium when someone scores a goal. There's just this, I, I love watching crowds at those moments. And you just see this almost wave go through people. No one's trying like, oh, it's a goal. I've got to celebrate. It's this thing which outflows of us. So I think that's the link between joy and mission. Amazing. One of the other things then, you've been doing this this podcast with John Mark Comer, this cultural moment, and you've you've been sort of analysing this cultural moment that we find ourselves in. Let, let's relate that to joy. I mean, you've mentioned a little bit about, you know, therapeutic culture that exists around us. H- how is joy then the antidote to this kind of this cultural moment? Well, I think what's defining this cultural moment is anxiety and fear. If you look at everyone, it's this really interesting moment that if you look at politically, conservatives are afraid that progressives are taking over the world and progressives are anxious that conservatives are having this resurgent moment and putting strong men and strong women up everywhere. Environmentalists are afraid that the world is being destroyed. Big business is afraid that environmentalists are going to stop them doing what they want to do. Everyone's afraid. Everyone feels you know, embittered and individuals feel anxious. I think it's becoming a dominant uh, thing because we've become so attuned to our surroundings and our surroundings having to be perfect that therefore we're anxious when they're just off a little bit. And I also think it's the fact that why we're anxious is the story that we've been told that the world is going to slide just gently to this perfect moment where we get this kingdom of God reality minus God. That story is falling apart. I would also say that the secular story is starting to fall apart and that is creating a lot of anxiousness in people and Christians can buy into that. But one of my sort of, you know, mantras at the moment is bad news is good news. And in a sense, every time you hear bad news, that's normally then when God wants to do something. So I see at this moment, anxiety is everywhere. It's, it's normative in the church, but that means people are going to be increasingly hungry and discontent for a different way of living. Wow. So let's let's explore the different way of living then. So in this type and um, time of hyper anxiety, how do we as the people of God connect with God and start to pursue joy? So what does what this practice of joy look like? I'm just going to give an example from my, my life. So I realized that I trend towards negativity. I trend towards melancholy. And so the first thing that I do after making a coffee is I wake up and I sit where I have my quiet time with God every day. And there was a stage where I was having a good quiet time, but I was still trend into those things. So what I did is before I would even open the scriptures and even before I get to pray, I begin my day with thanking God. And I just thank God, 
thank you for this. Sometimes it's thanking God for my wife, my, my, my family, for the church, for the home I get to live in. Um, other times it's just the sun coming up and sometimes it's the trees coming back. And what I find is it's actually a discipline. And, you know, Paul talks about the renewing of our mind and moving from the pattern of the world to this other pattern, which is this Christ pattern. And for me, it's actually choosing to take on for that day, to set my day, not by emotions and what I'm feeling, because emotions are infectious. We actually live in a social system and like just as the common cold can move through a group of people, negative experiences and negative emotions move through groups of people. So we've almost got to set ourselves and set to Christ. So for me, I want to set my emotions on Christ's emotions. Um, so beginning your day with that kind of practice is, is really key. Another one is language. Um, Australians can do this. Brits can do this. Um, we can begin by seeing the half glass half empty. Uh, as much as we can deride our American uh, friends and cousins, Americans are brilliantly positive people, you know, and I go there and it's like, oh, yeah, I looked at that negatively and everyone's positive. Um, and so choosing the language I use to describe things, to describe people, God creates the world through his word. And there's that sense that we can create worlds, worlds of possibility. So seeing the best that God wants for people in the language that we use. So there's almost this discipline of just checking ourselves and going, am I responding with my emotions? Okay, now I'm going to stop and then let God's, uh, discipline shape my words. So start of every day, this this kind of moment of gratitude, thanking God. Are there any other things you do throughout the day then when when you sense the, sense this internal drift of like almost catching yourself mm. and like bringing yourself back to this this posture of joy? I think I had this slight advantage of this. So it's yeah. So it's a it's a throughout the day thing because emotions come up at any time. Like other things like prayer or Bible, you could say I'm going to read at twelve o'clock. Problem is emotions are so fluid, you know, uh, you can be in your office and you've got no emotions and then you go into a meeting and stuff happens and they come up or something happens at work. For me, living with bipolarity taught me this brilliant lesson is not to trust my feelings. So I live with a mood disorder and so all of a sudden I start feeling something. It could be uh, intense excitement and then I could be like, cool, I want to buy 20 books on that subject and go, <laughs> hang on, stop. No, no, slow down. Um, it could be like, I feel something terrible is going on, this sense of crushing. What is that? So I had to learn to treat my disorder to actually go, stop. Now, actually, what I realized is that everyone needs to do that. That's not just for people with bipolarity. We've been told all these mantras that, you know, go on your gut instincts. You know, if you feel it, it's true. Um, so throughout the day, that little gap of, is that my feelings? Is What is your feelings, God, in this? That's a discipline I try and bring in. I'm not perfect. I'm working out all the time. One thing I, I, I've done at times too is just to write down when I've had intense feelings in the day later on and then reflect back on them and in a sense give them to God and ask the question, what, you know, was that me? Was that the enemy knocking my feelings uh, into a, di a, a difficult direction or what are you saying about that, God? So just getting like a step, almost stepping back from your feelings and saying, okay, what are they saying? They don't control me. And then in terms of your own life, and, and obviously you lead a church and as a community, you're trying to practice these disciplines. Um, what's some of the fruit that you've seen of practicing joy in your life? Like what difference does it make getting up each morning and saying, God, I'm going to thank you for X, Y, Z that I see around me? 
I thought this was just this little thing I was doing and I was more doing it for myself. And the first thing I noticed was after doing this for a little while, I had people come up to me and say that something changed. And one girl came up to me after a service and said, you seem really joyful. Another person came up and said, you're seeming joyful and it's ministering to me. I'm like, really? Like seriously, that thing? And I realized that it began to release something in our church. And particularly Melbourne is gripped by, I think, anxiety, which is ludicrous because it's such a, a lovely city. And it was almost like I had to take a different emotional posture to open up a new avenue of possibility for the spirit to work in people in, in my church's life. Now, I could not do that through a thing of self-will. It had to be in concert with the spirit. But I've noticed that the spiritual, sorry, the emotional temperature of the church has started to change. It's still in process. But people started to say, hang on, I actually don't have to be depressed all the time or negative. And actually, I can see the possibilities that the Holy Spirit could bring joy in those moments is what started to emanate. And, and there's a difference between preaching a sermon on it and then living it and it emanating out of your life, which is the difference between a pattern and information. Yeah. So to bring it to a close then, so imagine there's going to be a whole chunk of people across our congregation in London and then beyond tuning in, thinking, oh, my goodness, like my life seems absent of this joy that Mark's describing. Like I see the world through a fairly cynical lens. This is inspiring. I want to be, you know, I want to live differently, distinctively in the city I find myself in. What's the one thing you'd say off the back of this conversation? Okay, here's the next thing you do in in the beginning of this journey of pursuing joy. I would start by praying that God will fill you with joy. Then the next morning, getting up and praying that God will fill you with joy. Do that for 40 days and see what God does. Thank you for listening to the Pattern Podcast. If you'd like to explore more spirit-filled patterns of living, head over to pattern.org.uk.